service, I'm bringing to a conclusion my Christmas series, which is entitled Pregnant in Nazareth. The story has moved on a little bit from the birth of Jesus. Now we're going to look at what happened to him eight days later and then 40 days later when he was presented by his parents, mother and father, into the temple and how God used that occasion to bring a reminder to all of the faithful people of God in that generation that this child was a child of destiny. What I want you to take away from this message today for your lives personally is this. Stay close to God in 2016 and you won't miss him. You won't miss what he's doing. Now, this is quite a long passage, and I know many of you might have rushed here and missed your early morning Bible reading, so here we are. We're going to catch up for you. You can read this together. It is Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, verse 21, right the way through to verse 38. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now when the days of their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons and behold there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon and this man was just and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, 
she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Well, God was certainly up to something. But not everybody saw it. Not everybody discerned in this child the destiny that was upon him as the Messiah. Now, between Christmas and the New Year, while your thoughts are still lingering around Christmas festivities and beginning to glance ahead into the new year that is to come, I um, wonder if you're asking yourself, what will it bring? What will God do? What has God got in store for us, for you, for this year? We discover that in external circumstances, circumstances which are ordinary, God is at work. Here in this passage, we see something that in many ways is ordinary, a common scene in the worship life of ancient Israel, a young family bring a baby to be dedicated 40 days after the birth, just as it was according to the customs of the law. But there were people present who had a faithful heart for God. We can call them the remnant, people who had not given up hope for Israel, people who were constant in prayer, people who were sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and people who were walking in spiritual revelation. Let me ask you a question. If you'd been there on that day, would you have missed it, or would you have got it? Or if you heard Anna or anybody else talking about, you know, what they had seen and, and, and giving testimony, would you have believed it? Now, we have two faithful witnesses from this remnant of people. By and large, God's people were pretty far from him, pretty backslidden, but there was a group of burning, passionate, faithful people who were looking for the Messiah. Simeon, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Anna, also looking for the one who had come to redeem Israel. And these two witnesses on that day were witnessing something very, very special. Jesus is brought to the temple and he is Messiah, Messiah from the day of his birth, born a Messiah. And there he is brought into the temple where he belongs. For those people who understand the history of God's dealings with his people and how that the Old Testament links with the New Testament, this is a story that began many, many, many hundreds of years ago, but a decisive chapter is opened on this day when Messiah is brought to the temple. That in itself is a prophetic fulfillment of what the prophets had spoken of. For there was a day witnessed to by Ezekiel in his prophecy, chapter 10, when when the presence of God was removed from the temple. And then, of course, Ezekiel prophesied that he's going to come back. He's going to come back and dwell in his temple. The glory is going to come back to the temple. And here we have the beginnings of the fulfillment of that prophecy because the one who is bundled up as a little 40-day-old baby is the Messiah who is God with us. And he sets foot into the temple as a sign of good things to come, that God is going to dwell amongst his people and all the promises of God to Israel were going to be fulfilled. A wonderful time. A wonderful story. And so we've mentioned, of course, the circumcision. This probably took place in Bethlehem. They'd stayed behind, the family had stayed behind, maybe rented a house or something more convenient accommodation than the accommodation they had at the beginning. 
And most probably on the eighth day, Jesus was circumcised at that point in, in um, Bethlehem. And, and taking this circumcision is a very significant thing. Galatians chapter 4 verse 4 speaks about what it's all about, that the Messiah would come, born of a woman, born under the law. So he is now, is demonstrating he is a real Jew under the law, and he is there to fulfill something that will ultimately lead to liberation from the Lord's condemnation upon us all. And then the 40 days in Jerusalem, this is the time of purification, you notice I read the translation, which is faithful to the original. The days of their purification were completed. Not just Mary's purification. Of course, there was a purification for Mary, ritualistic purification, which pointed to the fact that Mary, along with the rest of humanity, needed purifying. Amen. And, and Jesus also undergoes a purification. Now, it's not that he needed it, because he was sinless. And never committed sin in all his life. But he's beginning to identify with all of us sinners. Beginning to demonstrate that Jesus coming into this world is going to be one of us. And like us in every way except sin. But enter into that place where he would be the sin bearer for the whole world. And in this purification there was also a special dedication. What we did this morning... In that baby dedication, it was a kind of custom that we've developed. It is not a strict Jewish custom that we have adopted, but it's kind of based on that, that we come and bring and present a child to the Lord. But here, in Bible times, in Jewish culture, this was highly significant because Jesus was Mary's firstborn, meaning he belonged to the Lord, and all the firstborn were dedicated from the womb unto God and then redeemed so that they could continue life as normal. But this call that Jesus demonstrated was more than the call of the firstborn. It was the call of Messiah, Son of God. And Mary and Joseph are dedicating Jesus to his purpose and to his destiny. They understood quite a bit about it, and in a moment or two, they're going to experience something that would underline what the angels said, what the message of God was concerning the destiny of this child. But they did it in faith, dedicating him unto the Lord. And they offered what was the, uh, the standard offering for those who didn't have much money. So the full offering was a whole lamb that was sacrificed as a burnt offering and then a dove. And, and, but for those who couldn't afford it, they were given provision in the law of Moses to offer two birds, a turtle dove and two pigeons. This reminds us at this point that the family was not a family of means. Now the only way that this could be well, there's two things. First of all, Joseph was a worker. When, when people think about Joseph, they call him Joseph the worker. Thank God there was a man who's, who no, knows what it is to go out and, and earn his living and take care of his family. So the family was provided for, maybe not living in absolute luxury, but provided for. But from Nazareth to Bethlehem, surely their resources were depleted. And now they were, it was, it was the end of the month and the money was, had or hadn't lasted. And there they are. Now, it's very interesting to me because this shows the humility of the situation, but also think 
about it for a little bit. This must have been before the wise men arrived with their luxurious gifts. And the gifts that the wise men brought, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, which takes place a little after this, quite a bit after this, actually, because Herod came to destroy kids under the age of two uh, because of this in Bethlehem. So there was a little while later. Uh, and so they were coming into a, almost like a royal inheritance. Don't tell me that that wasn't worth a lot. I mean, it was mega bucks. It was the best gift ever in Bethlehem, I'm sure, when, when, when they came to do that. So, at this time, they didn't have a lot, but God was about to provide for their future because after the revelation of the, of the wise men, Herod was going to destroy every child under the age of two, and this family, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, had to flee to Egypt, and now they had all the resources to do it. Isn't this remarkable? God takes care of you every step of the way. You have exactly what you need when it is time for you to need it. Praise God for that. So, here they are. Here comes the uh, dedication ceremony, and in through the door bursts an exciting man, Simeon, well known. The Bible describes him as a devout man, a righteous man, and a man who was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Very specific words which locate the fulfillment of the promises in great detail. The promise of Christ coming into the world was a promise that God had given a long time ago under the ministry of Isaiah the prophet, and we read about it in chapter 40, verses 1 to 2. Very familiar words. words. Comfort, yes, comfort my people says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now, that prophecy was given by Isaiah projected into the future when the people of God were separated from their land and Jerusalem had been destroyed and in exile for 70 years in Babylon, God says, I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to restore you. The exile will not last forever. And it began to happen when they were brought back into the land, but they were still not a free people. They were still not liberated. And others, the godly people, the people who prayed, and the people who were open to the Holy Spirit said, God, what are you doing? The exile has, uh, the end of the exile has begun, but we are still under the bondage of foreign forces. And in the time of Jesus, it was no longer the Greeks or the, or the Persians. This now was Rome, and they were still under oppression. Israel had still not been set free. The exile was still continuing. And when you read the scripture carefully, you realize that it wasn't 70 years, but 70 by 7. And the years of those exile was about to be fulfilled. The book of Daniel prophesies about this. And so, this man was a wise man, Simeon. He was in touch with God. He knew the scriptures. He knew the prophecies. He knew the promises. And he was not going to let them go. He was in fact filled with the Holy Spirit and anointed by God and he said I'm going to listen to what the Holy Spirit tells me and the Spirit said to him Simeon you will not die until your eyes have seen the Messiah Amen. 
can you imagine him going around and saying, the Messiah, <laughs> I'm not going to die. I'm a, I might be an old man. I don't know how old he was. Uh, Anna was 84 years. I don't know how old Simeon was. But I kind of get the feeling he was coming to the end of the end. And he would have prophesied this, oh, dear Lord, now it's time for me to go home. He was just about to go. But God said, you can't go until I fulfill my word to you. Let me tell you, there is a word from heaven that suspends over every one of your lives. And you will not go until God's word is done. You will not fail until God's word is completed in your life. Amen. He was a man, three times it says, first of all, he was a man full of the Spirit. What is the exact words? Uh, he, he was a man, the Holy Spirit was upon him. There it is, verse 25. The Holy Spirit was upon him. He lived under the realm of the Holy Spirit. So I'm ready to preaching to you, telling you what I want to see happen in my life and your life on into 2016. Then it says, the Holy Spirit revealed to him he wouldn't see death before he'd seen the Lord's Christ, but there was still a, a final word. He didn't know where, he didn't know when. He didn't know where, he didn't know when, but that morning the alarm rang. But it wasn't his, his mobile phone, it wasn't his digital clock, it was the Holy Spirit said, get out of bed and get to the temple. How many people heard that word this morning? <laughs> Some of you did. <laughs> And uh, he, the Holy Spirit said, today's the day, the day you've been waiting for, the day my word is fulfilled, the day your eyes shall see the promise of God in flesh and blood. And so he was excited, and he got there to the temple, and obviously somehow the Spirit directed him to this family. We don't know how many other families were there dedicating their children to the Lord. We don't know. But the Holy Spirit showed him this family. And, and so he went straight, straight there, right in, rushed in, and he grabbed that child. And now he prophesies. And he says, my eyes have seen the salvation which you've prepared before the face of all peoples. Verse 32 gives us two points. A light to bring revelation to the Gentiles. And the glory of your people, Israel. Wow. There would, would have been, if the whole nation heard this, a collective sigh of relief as Israel, the nation, breathed that sigh of relief. God has not forgotten us. This exile 70 by 7 is coming to an end. And your promises to us ever, as a people have been fulfilled. You've not forgotten us. And what is the glory of Israel? The glory of Israel is a nation out of which Messiah came as a gift to the whole world. What an amazing thing. This choice of Abraham this choice of Israel, so that out of that holy nation, Messiah would come and that Jesus himself could say, salvation is of the Jews. That's the glory of Israel. Providing the Messiah, but not just the Messiah for Israel, 
a Messiah for all nations, all people. In fact, there is only one name, and that is the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, the Jesus the Christ by which we shall be saved. Whichever age, whichever generation, whichever nation, whichever race, whichever background, God says this is the only way. Amen and amen. And so we go back to, the, to that passage of Isaiah 40. The comfort that is spoken is the comfort that God brings when the exile is over and it is linked to forgiveness of sins. Say to her, her iniquity is pardoned. She's received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. This is a picture of a commercial bill that when you pay it, it's folded in half and nailed to the account board. Done. Dusted. Paid. Amen and amen. amen. Let's pray that God will help us with every, every bill that's coming in to our lives over this Christmas season. Amen and amen. But there is a bill, a debt to pay, that is even bigger and more important than anything financial. It is the debt that we owe to God. And the indication is that the salvation Messiah brings will first of all be a spiritual deliverance from the price of sin, the bondage of sin, and the condemnation of sin. That's why they're rejoicing. The story is not finished. The consolation of Israel is beginning to be outworked. And this man of the Spirit, this receiver of revelation, becomes witness number one, drawn from the remnant of God's people. When we think about all the people who were witnesses to the birth of Jesus, especially those who understood its significance, they're very few. We have, of course, Mary and Joseph. We have uh, Elizabeth, uh, the mother of John the Baptist, and Zachariah. We have those, a few other family friends, no doubt. And then, of course, we have the shepherds. And by now, the shepherds are telling stories throughout the whole night, traveling everywhere. Their shepherd stories around the campfire turned, you know what, we were tonight like this. It was not so long ago. In fact, 40 days ago, we were sitting like this, and up there, an angel came. An angel came, talked to us. An angel, you mad? No, no, no. Then the whole earth, the sky was filled with angels. And glory to God in the highest, they said, and the earth, peace, goodwill towards men. The Messiah has come. Then we went to saw him exactly as the angel said, right there, lying in a manger, wrapped in swaddling cloth, just as... So there the shepherds are doing their testimony. Of course, we have the wise men. They haven't quite hit it yet. But they're going to go back and, and give testimony to Herod. They're going to give testimony to the whole world. And now we have these remnant believers right there in the house of prayer, right there in the temple in Jerusalem. Now, this is such a good time to get a testimony. God has not left himself without a witness. Now, these were chosen because they were devout and in the right place, open to the Spirit, listening to God, and in the place of prayer. These two. So, why especially here is it significant? When Messiah came, these people who were steeped in Old Testament scriptures and promises and prophecies knew that Messiah would do two things. He would be king, he'd establish his kingdom forever, and he would restore the holy temple, and bring restoration of worship, true worship to God. And Jesus now is Messiah, is in Jerusalem, the place of kings, and in temple, the place where God dwells. But the dwelling of God amongst men was not this spiritual presence just in a building. There was a new temple, 
a temple within the temple. And the temple is the very body of Christ himself. And so Jesus, who is God with us, brings God's presence back to the planet as a sign that he says, I want to dwell amongst you. And I want you to be my people. And I shall be your God. What an amazing prophecy does uh, Simeon bring. When he's declared his charismatic gift of praise to God, he then turns to Mary and Joseph. And the Bible says that they were astonished at what had been said. Why were they astonished? Was it new? No, maybe not new at all. God had spoken to them in dreams and visions and with the angel and so forth, declaring this. But now there's an independent witness right out of the blue. It's wonderful when God does that. You've heard from God and you're wanting to move in that direction. And then God sends a confirmation, not just one, but two confirmations. And it becomes clearer than ever before. Never proceed on a word that has not been confirmed. Amen and amen. Out of the mouth of two or three witnesses that everything be established. But they are amazed because it is quite bold what uh, Simeon has said. And then Simeon has the privilege of blessing them. Can you imagine? Here we have Simeon, this aged prophetic man of God who says, it's time for me to go. I've done what I've been called to do. But just one more thing, I want to bless you. And so he speaks a blessing over Mary and Joseph and Jesus. I believe in blessing, don't you? I mean, I really believe in blessing people because when you line up with God's purposes and you speak in the name of Jesus, it's not just good words that you say over somebody, but that blessing is imparted. God's blessing touches them. Then he looks very closely at them both and begins to prophesy. And he said, this child is a child of destiny. And this child of destiny will lead to the fall and rise of many and it will be a sign spoken against that the thoughts of people's hearts might be revealed. What a profound prophecy. And this is so much how the Holy Spirit works and how God's kingdom comes. First of all, the rise and fall. What has that got to do with? He's comparing Jesus to a stone. Of course, he's a stone that the builders rejected, but he's a stone. Speaking of the rejection that was to come, the death of Jesus on the cross. Also speaking that that very stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. So it will be for the fall that is the stumbling of many people but the rise of others so this stone can either be a stumbling stone a stone that makes you stumble or a stepping stone that brings you to relationship with God and it's what's in your heart how you respond that determines whether he is for you a stumbling block a stumbling stone or a stepping stone that lifts you into the presence of God then he goes on to say this is a sign Now, signs and wonders are fabulous things. We love it when God brings a sign, 
But a sign is a signpost to the kingdom of God and also a means by which your heart is revealed. Did you know that? And it's not about the veracity of the sign. Even a miraculous sign is a sign that divides and exposes the heart. Did you know that? Remember when Jesus, later on in his life, when he is ministering in Galilee, he ministers such amazing, powerful signs and wonders, so much so that if Sodom and Gomorrah had heard those signs and seen those signs, they would have repented, but Tyre and Sidon had not. So right there in the middle of great signs and wonders done by Jesus himself, there are people who rejected and disbelieved because a sign does not replace faith. A sign, when it is shown, reveals your heart. And here is the staggering revelation. It is so staggering. We know, it's, we know it from the gospel, but it's so staggering. And to read it here so early on in the life of Jesus, this is what Simeon is prophesying, the word of God, saying how you treat Jesus is a sign of what you really feel about God. In other words, you can't have the Father unless you have the Son. You can't say, well, I believe in God, but I'm going to reject Jesus. No, he will reveal your true heart, and everybody has a true heart for God will come to Christ. Let me say to you now, I'm in the spirit right now. Let me say, whoever is listening to me right now, you may be a Muslim, you may be a Jew. Let me tell you right now, unless you have Jesus, the God that you worship is not the God that will save you. If you have Jesus, you don't just have Jesus, you have God the Father, who is the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let that revelation touch your life right now. Jesus is the only way to God. If you want God, you've got to have Jesus because he is the way, the truth, and the life, and only Jesus. Now that is so offensive to people that it's a stumbling block. I spoke just a moment ago to people who I pray will hear this, who are hungry for the true God and are seeking for the true and the living God. But for most Jews and for most Muslims, that would be highly offensive. They will stumble at that saying, no, 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 that's not what we believe. And yet this is the revelation of the gospel story. Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. He came into this world for amongst other things to end up dying on the cross to pay the price for our sin. And he says it's a sign that will be spoken against. And oh, yes even to this very day. But in the middle, there is a parenthesis in which God gives this aged prophet, faithful man of God, full of the Spirit, x-ray vision to look deep into the soul of Mary. And he pauses and says, a sword is going to pierce your soul also. He didn't say it to Joseph. From our understanding of the history, Joseph passed away before Jesus was taken to the cross. But Mary, the woman who brought this Christ child into the world, wasn't going to be easy for her. There was coming a time when she had to know him not according to the flesh, and the mother-son relationship was going to be broken forever. Not carried on into heaven in some glorious position for the so-called mother of God. No, she had to come like everybody else to know him no longer after the flesh. That would be very, very difficult. 
Very interesting. When I came to Christ and began to testify to my mother, my mother had taken me since I was on her knees into Anglican church services. And I'm sure that built a great foundation for my life. But they were not evangelical. They didn't preach the gospel. I knew a lot about Jesus, but I didn't know him. And when I came to know him, I said to my mother, I want you to know him too. And she said, I already, I took you to church. I took you to church. I changed your diapers in the church. I took you to church. I took you to the choir. And I said to the vicar, you better, if, we, if you don't let him sing in the choir, we're going to leave this church. The vicar heard me and made it, well, I don't know, I don't, I'm that desperate to have everybody, anybody in the church. At that stage, my mother was a Good Works Anglican believer. In fact, from Australia, she owned half the Good Works in the Southern Hemisphere, that is for sure. But the time came when my earthly mother, when my mother then came to faith in Christ personally. And our relationship was different. It was not according to the flesh. Mary had to experience that. Couldn't have been hard, couldn't have been easy for her. But even worse than that, she was going to be a witness to his death on the cross and you can imagine what that must have felt like for her. But even there, Jesus remembered her and said to John, behold your mother and woman, behold your son. There in his agony on the cross, he provided for her. That relationship, that earthly connection now was resolved but the pain of that woman. This reminds me, friends, that when we follow Christ, don't expect plain sailing. Family is not just a good idea. Family comes from God. But here, this family was going to be hurt, and they were going to experience stuff in this family with the responsibility of kingdom upon their lives, such that normal, natural family inclinations were going to be placed second to the kingdom of God. We teach our younger ministers, get it right. The family comes before ministry. Amen? But we also have to say, remember, God comes before family. And many of you know the struggle that it is to follow Jesus when there is a, a family demon ruling the household. I'm not talking about your mother or your mother-in-law. <laughs> Just now, in case some of I saw some men saying, oh, you be, you, 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 Holy Spirit showing you my household this Christmas time. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people who, who worship a tradition, who worship the family idol that is passed down through generations. And the moment you say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, all hell breaks loose. Or there are times when you have to sacrifice. Mary and others had to know there was a price to pay and to follow the kingdom of God and to follow God's plan. At times it will lead you to uncomfortable and painful decisions with respect to your own family, but the spiritual family comes first. God's family comes first. God's kingdom comes, comes first. I'm not saying this is true in every case. Thank God that we have whole families to come to Christ and the whole family serves God, but the whole family needs to learn to put God's kingdom first. Amen and amen. amen. So here we have this wonderful prophecy saying that not only is the glory coming, but it's coming through suffering, 
This family was victims or victim of oppression. That's the backstory here. It's just not nice. It's not nice a pregnant woman having to go 70 miles in the middle of winter or wherever, whenever it was from Nazareth to Bethlehem to register for increased taxation by a foreign government. That's rubbing salt into the wound. Rejection. There'd be much rejection. I was reading this week of a certain Jewish writing. It's not anti-Semitic to say this because there is some very anti-Christian material in, 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 in some forms of Judaism in which Rabbinically, it was named the soldier who Mary had an affair with to bring a bastard child into the world. I'm quoting. Now, there were some who, who believed that even in Jesus' day. We read about it in the Gospels, don't we? We weren't born of immorality. Remember that? So Mary has carried that all the way through her life. Then there was the rejection. The rejection of Jesus as the Son of God. He came unto his own and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, he gave them the power, the right, and authority to become children of God. From there to persecution, not many days from this moment of dedication, Herod would be persecuting them and chasing them out. And thank God they were warned to flee to Egypt, probably with their pockets full of the inheritance from that massive amount of money that was given to them so they could live in obscurity and security. Ultimately, the rejection of the chief priests and the Pharisees, his betrayal even by one of his own disciples, leading to a crucifixion. And there was Simeon's prophecy fulfilled as Mary, helpless before with the other disciples, mainly women, who had to say, a sword has pierced my soul. No, that was not the end. Messiah comes to victory. He's raised again from the dead. Sent into heaven, ruling and reigning right now, and is coming again to establish all things according to the word of the Lord. And there we have this wonderful revelation of Simeon, but there's another witness. I just imagine her. This is an extraordinary woman, 84 years of age. We don't know how long, what age she was when she was married, but she, she might have been in her early 20s when her husband died, seven years of marriage, and there she is, a young woman without a husband. And something happens. She says, I'm gonna dedicate my life to God. I'm gonna become a mother of Israel and I am going to pray. And in fact, I'm gonna move into that granny flat just over there. Just be ready for me, just there. There, that widow's apartment, just there, overlooking the temple, and I will always be in the house of God. What a woman, 84 years of age. She was always in the temple, praying, prophesying, encouraging, fasting, seeking God. I mean, she was the spiritual woman of Jerusalem. And when she sees that Seen Mary, Joseph, Jesus, and Simeon, she rushes in. And she discerns because she is a woman of prayer. She discerns what is happening. And she sees that this one is the Messiah. Maybe she even heard Simeon's prophecy. And she bears witness to that. I can just imagine, I've been here. 
35 years, 50 years I've been here praying, and I have now myself seen the message of the redemption of all of Israel, and all the world know that Jesus is the Christ. <laughs> I can imagine her. We've had, we've had, I, I'm, I'm, there's, that's a thousand Pentecostal women that I've known over the years. Those powerful women of prayer, stir them up again, Lord. But the men are off the hook. The men were full of the Spirit. The women are praying. And when you're full of the Spirit, you pray. And when you pray like that, you're full of the Holy Spirit. This is a picture for us all of how, where we need to be so we don't miss God. They didn't miss him because they were directed by the Holy Spirit. They were full of prayer. They were praying. That's why in the new year, we're going to start a whole week to prayer, fasting as the Holy Spirit leads. So stay close to God, friends, and you're not going to miss what he's doing. He's doing something in your life. The external circumstances may seem to be ordinary, but in the midst of the ordinary lies the extraordinary for those who have eyes to see. The word of scriptural promise, hang on to that. There is an historical continuity and a future hope that comes from the faith that is inspired by the Bible, the word of God. Be men and women of the Spirit, learning to listen to God in in humble dependence on Him and enlightened expectancy. God is about something wonderful, and we are brought into His story. Turn all that to believing prayer, waiting on God with constant prayer and fasting and readiness because you will not know the moment when it's coming where God will put you in the right place at the right time. And at times like that, you'll be glad you did. I was walking in Brazil recently. Some example came to me in the 9 o'clock service. Not the recent, most recent example. It's one that I remember just a few days ago in Brazil. And I'm in a public place. And we're going just to do a little bit of shopping. And then there's a woman who is walking with a stick and a nurse next to her. And I just see her. And I walk straight up to her without even thinking. Say, I've got a word for you. I want to pray for you. She looks at me astonished. It's translated into Portuguese. He has a word for you. He's a pastor. Oh, he's a pa- if he's a pastor, it's okay. So she was all right. I don't know why she got, felt comfortable with that. Because we're full of the Holy Spirit. We've got a word to say. Prayed for her. T- God touched her. And her, the whole thing, point was, that she lost her husband recently. There from a crowd, God pointed to her, picked her out, and blessed her. Amen? You never know when you're going to need to be in the Spirit. So don't leave his presence. Be ready to accept and believe what the Lord tells you. And embrace the fulfillment, not just the promise. Don't just live in the promise, live in the fulfillment. Even if the fulfillment of the promise is unusual, even if it's unpopular, even if it's controversial and costly, because when you discern the destiny that is at work in your life, you remember Jesus is Messiah and his hands carry you to the destiny that he has for you. Thank you.